Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. My name is Chandra, I'm your host, and I am super excited about today's episode because it's another interview episode as part of our series this year of interviews with women who've made significant change in their career after the age of 40, generally to be starting their own business. And today, uh, I'm finally getting to interview um, a fantastic woman who I've known for some time, but we have not been able to get a podcast lined up for various reasons. Uh, so I'm very excited to be speaking with her and sharing her journey with you. So hello, Karen, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you, Chandra? I'm very well. And as I just said, very excited about getting into this interview and finding out more about you and your story, because we have met through a business network that we are both part of. So I feel like we kind of know each other quite well, but there's this whole chapter of your life that I actually don't know a lot about. So I'm excited about getting into that and hearing more about how you got to be doing what you're doing now. Um, so what about as a little kickoff, do you want to just introduce yourself and tell us what did you used to do for work and what do you do now? Sure. So my name is Karen Jelovin and well, in my past life, <laughs> um, I was a teacher. Um, I still am a teacher, but I don't operate in the teaching system anymore. I'm private enterprise and I own my own chain of tutoring companies. Oh, okay. So there's a through line of the teaching element, but how you do it and who you do it for sounds like that's been a big shift. Massive, massive shift. Mm. Obviously, you know, pre-existence, I had a cushy government job um, and now I am a business owner. Yep. Such a big leap. I'm really excited to get into that transition and the various challenges that you have faced, as well as you know the upsides of that change. So I'm sure we're going to get into that. But just firstly, what I'm interested in is you said that you used to be a, a teacher. How did you get into that? Had you always wanted to be a teacher, or was that all that you kind of got into? So funnily, I think even as a teenager, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I did do it for my work experience at school. Right. Um, but life life does what life does. And that wasn't the path that I followed from school. And I, I went into banking and insurance and, and did that until I had my kids. And then I went back and studied to become a teacher when my youngest um, was only one. Wow. And so I think it's really interesting that you say that as a teenager, you had that inkling that teaching was what you wanted to do, but it, it, didn't, it wasn't necessarily a straight path. And I feel like that's actually a really good point to be highlighting because I think sometimes we can, especially as women, put pressure on ourselves to have to know the right thing straight away. But in my experience, life and work rarely is a straight line. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I guess, you know, your example um, is, is another example of that being the case. And so when you finally did get back to that first love, if you like, of, of teaching, uh, what was that process like for you? How long were you working as a teacher for? So I was in the system for oh, 15, 16 years. Can I just um, jump in? Yeah. It, it sounds so interesting to me when you say I was in the system. It sort of sounds like were you in prison or I don't know. Like it's I haven't had a government job myself, so I guess it's, it's um, terminology that I haven't really used. But, but what does that kind of mean? Look. And I apologise deeply to teachers out there because they are tremendous, tremendous people and hats off to them. And there are people who have um, been teachers for the department for an exceptionally long time and they do a wonderful job. But Mm -hmm. for me, becoming a teacher was about the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And particularly, I have a significant passion for kids who are struggling and kids who have fallen behind Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt like almost like I was in prison if I'm really honest and and that was my personal feeling that I was not adhering to my calling I was not living my passion in the system because I was so constrained and so for me it was such a toxic environment and one within the you know like unfortunately teaching is rife with bullying um from an adult perspective but with the kids just not being able to help them in the way that I really wanted to help and you know like I look at teaching New South Wales whose mantra was always um to make a difference Mm -hmm. and I honestly and genuinely did not feel like I was making a difference to the kids that I was teaching and, and is that, do you think, and obviously you can only speak of your experience and so it's not necessarily every uh, area of teaching in, in the country, but for you, what were the sort of things that you were feeling constricted by or, or what were those limitations between what you could see and what you felt compelled to want to do but you weren't able to do? Look, I think all teachers will tell you that they're under-resourced, right. um, you know, so you identify a student who has fallen behind and it is down to you as the teacher to do what you can do, that there's very limited amount of resources there to help you. Mm-hmm. So when you then think about that you're teaching 32 kids in a classroom and you are one human how much can you actually do individually? Yeah. Um, and sure, you try to break things down into smaller groups and to spend individual time with each student, but you have, I used to say, six and three quarter hours to make an impact. And that's really, really challenging. And, and the hours that I would spend in planning and preparation um, was significant. And I didn't necessarily feel like that was then benefiting the kids in the way that it should have yeah yeah and so when you say that like 32 kids in a class and you've highlighted I can really feel your passion particularly for the kids that as you said are um, struggling in some way or they've fallen behind perhaps the benchmarking of where someone of their age or or school level um, is supposed to be in, in you know inverted commas out of 
the class of 32, how often would it be that there would be a child in that kind of size cohort that actually you felt needed more support? Every year that I taught. Um, and, you know, my last year mm. of teaching, I had identified five kids that needed to go into a different class. And the way that things worked was they even though they qualified and they were eligible, they had to wait to the following school year before they could actually go into that support class, um, which to me is not okay. That seems um, so weird. They've been yeah. identified now that they need the support, but they have to wait till next year where they're going to be even further behind, presumably. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. totally. And so so that was just a massive frustration point for me and, and took its toll on me emotionally and and also, I mean, my health ended up suffering because of it. Yeah, right. And so what you've shared there is, I think, really common and even for beyond the teaching profession that, that often through the cultural environment of a workplace or it may not even be the whole workplace, it might just be within a particular team or under a certain manager or leader, that the environment puts an extra layer of stress onto people and that then that stress plays out over time and often results in health challenges. For for you, what were the sorts of things that you were experiencing? So in my my last year in the classroom, I ended up with glandular fever Mm -hmm. and I, because I loved look I loved being a teacher don't get me wrong I don't want people to think that I hated teaching because I didn't Mm. I absolutely loved teaching and I loved being with the kids Mm. and because of that and because I felt guilty that I was actually not at work and these guys had casual teachers I went back to work too early and because of that I actually developed chronic fatigue and um, and then it was just a a never-ending cycle then and I was miserable um, I would get home from work and I would just collapse in, collapse in a heap. I knew I wasn't performing to the level that I needed to be. Um, and, and I just felt like I was letting everybody down. And you can't do that as a teacher. Um, you have to be on your, your A game all the time. Mm. So for me, it was, what am I going to do about this? And I was losing my love of teaching. Yeah. Which is such an awful thing, isn't it? Especially when it's something that you're so passionate about to be in that environment. So if you're you're at that stage struggling with these health challenges and that feeling of losing your love for teaching, was there something that was, a, I guess, a final straw or a catalyst for you making a decision to make a change? Or how did that change point come about? Look, I think a lot of conversations with my husband mm-hmm. um, and then looking at going I couldn't maintain what I was doing the way I was doing it and actually get through an over chronic fatigue Um, and so I started to look at okay well what else could I do in life what's next and you know so I was looking at leaving teaching altogether yeah and so I started looking at different jobs and different you know what could I do could I go back to banking and then the thought of that, I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't want to do that either. <laughs> so, you know, like I just went through this whole rigmarole and I was I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then, you know, my husband had then said, look, let, let's just just take a year off, 
teaching and don't do anything. And I'm like, I can't do that. I've always, <laughs> you know, I've always done something. Um, but that was where I was at. I was at that point that I'm going, if I don't do something, I'm going to break. Yeah. And I also couldn't, I couldn't let down the kids either. Um, so I, I was going through com- complete and utter turmoil. Like I think there was a lot of sleepless nights mm. of knowing knowing what to do. And then it just so happened that I saw an advertisement for a tutoring position. And so um, I, I said to my, my husband, I said, well, what if I just go and do that, earn a little bit of pocket money, and then if I make the decision that I'll take 12 months off from the classroom, at least that would be bringing in some money. Because obviously, like everybody, money is such a huge concern. Hmm. You know, we had three kids that we were – you know, we're dependent on us. We had a big mortgage because we live in Sydney. Yeah. Um, you know, all of those things is going, I have to have revenue coming in from somewhere. So I ended up taking a casual tutoring position. Were you still teaching at the same time or this was part of the decision to take time off from teaching? At that point, I was still teaching. So you, <laughs> so <laughs> you've, you've got chronic fatigue you're smashing yourself trying to do what you can at school and then you decide to add a part-time tutoring job on top. Yes, that's exactly what I did. I guess that made sense to you at the time. Do you know what? I think, and I think it's the turmoil that a lot of people when they're considering change go through is this complete and utter fear of what happens if we don't have any money. Yeah. What happens to my family? What happens, you know, do we lose the house? So I think your fear takes over what is logical. Yeah. Because let's be honest, at that time, logical would have been go to bed. (laughs) Pretty much. Go to bed, get better, then worry about it. But I don't think you go through those rational thought processes at the time. And, and I've got to say, I, I, you know, I'm a little bit crazy. Um, I ended up, because I absolutely loved the tutoring, I fell in love with it. And the first night I came home and I said to Mark that I made more impact in my tutoring lesson, in one tutoring lesson, than I had in a week in the classroom. Mm. And so I ended up just taking more and more shifts And by the end of that academic year, I was actually teaching five days a week at school, five days a week in the tutoring centre and absolutely loving it. I was tired. (laughs) I was going to say, I bet you're tired. Um, I hadn't quite gotten over the chronic fatigue, but I had bounce in my step and I could Mm -hmm. see a direction. Mm -hmm. And look, what you've touched on there I think is so important because sometimes we can just like work ourselves into the ground and not be able to see like it sounded like you were when you were thinking, oh, could I go back to banking? And you just, it's like, oh, that makes you feel worse. But when you find the thing or something that does feel like a really great outlet and vehicle for something you genuinely care about that's meaningful work to you, it's like... You know when they say there's, you have a separate dessert stomach? I feel like there's a, there's a separate fuel tank that we have 
that you tap into when you really are you know working in that zone of genius or you're you're doing something that you really do genuinely care about that gives you a different kind of energy boost and so I think what you've described there is is that is tapping into that backup fuel tank and I'm not suggesting that it's actually a good idea to tap into that um, for too long but I think it's really interesting it's almost I feel like it's there as a way of encouraging you to take whatever the next leap is because it's like a taster of actually I could feel like this about what I do for work instead of feeling like it's so hard and heavy. Yeah, I totally agree. And look, I do not recommend doing what I did um, <laughs> at all. Uh, I guess I was very lucky in the sense that I didn't get sicker. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that was more good luck than good management. Yeah. But I think when you are in that turmoil stage, you need to find something that that helps you get up in the morning. Yeah. And for me, what made me get up in the morning was knowing that in the afternoon I was going to go to tutoring. Yeah. And that and that got me through. And look, lots of people say to me, "Well, why didn't you just take leave then?" You you know, you were miserable. And if I'm really honest because I'm a teacher first, and it was because I had made a commitment to my class that I was going to be there to support them for the academic year. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't walk away from those kids because it was not the kids' fault that I was discontent. And so I think the teacher in me came first and I couldn't let down them. And I think there'll be people out there that sort of have that same feeling, like they've made a commitment to their boss or Mm -hmm. they've made a commitment to their company that they feel like they can't let them down. And and I guess I talk about that guilt factor all the time, but when it's little kids' eyes that are staring at you, it makes it even worse. I can only imagine, you know, having known, you know, myself being in that situation of feeling like, okay, I have committed to this particular project, so I can't leave Mint Project or, you know, my team when I was, you know, uh, in my last employee situation. So I can kind of relate to that. But then you add the layer on of it being kids who don't necessarily understand, what do you mean you're not coming back next term? Or what do you mean you're just gone? Uh, I can really uh, appreciate that. So you've found this new love, which is channeling all your passion for teaching but in a different way so in the tutoring approach so then you you made the decision to go but did did you buy because now you you own and run a very successful tutoring business did you just buy the business that you were working for or how did that come about Uh, essentially that's exactly what happened oh really Um, yeah, yeah so the the couple who I was working for they were getting to the point where they had had enough mm-hmm. and they were thinking about retiring and they had some elderly parents that were quite sick so they were finding it quite taxing and so we put in an offer to buy the business and that's what happened it wasn't an easy thing and and can I tell you like that it was a significant amount of money mm-hmm. to buy in and I think that angels that these people were that they gave me a mechanism to buy the business and and one of the things that I say to people is if you really really want something you can generally find a way to accomplish it mm-hmm. so we I mean look we were a young couple relatively young 
I, I still say we're young, <laughs> um, that had not long been in Sydney. So we had gone from this, you know, living in Wollongong where you have a mortgage that's $200,000 a year to having, you know, like this mortgage that is, you know, 800000 900000 Yeah. Um, so, you know, big step up. And so we didn't have money to buy a business, but I was determined that this is what we were going to do. So I went to the owners and said, okay, what about if we pay you a deposit and then I vendor finance and pay you off over three years? And we were talking about a, an amount of money between two and $300,000. Mm-hmm. And they went for it. And I love the fact that you've shared that because I think that it touches on a few things. One is uh, that the difference that kicks in and the determination that kicks in when you really do want something. And I'm a big believer that we will, as human beings, always find money for the things that we care about the most. And it, money may be take different forms, but that whole handbraking and saying, oh, I can't afford that. We don't have the money. Oh, well, it's not meant to be. It's, it's Sometimes that might be the right decision to make, but I think that it's one of those things that when you care about it, you can often start to be a bit more creative about what are the ways that we can all have the outcome we want. You want to buy this business. They wanted to sell the business. They already knew you and knew you'd do a good job, presumably. And so this just was... Uh, a different way of creating that win-win outcome. Yeah, totally. And look, one of my mentors um, says there are two different people. There are business owners and there are entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And the difference between the two is that a business owner will run a business and they will be successful in running a business. But an entrepreneur has already succeeded in the business before they start because that's where their mindset is at. And that is sort of me. I ha- could already see the finish line. So to not get to where I wanted to be, that really wasn't an option. I will make the decision, this is what we're going to do. And then I'll figure out the details of how we're going to get there later. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I already owned that center. I, I operated every day in that business as if I already owned it. I just now needed to work out the semantics of how I was actually going to physically own it. Yes, and, and let um, the current reality catch up with what you knew in your head. <laughs> Yes, yeah, exactly. And look, I'm really interested in that. And what's um, a little bit different about your story compared to many of the other interviews in this podcast series is that you have bought a business and you've bought uh, a franchise business that already existed. And so I'm curious from you uh, about that that process, not necessarily the ins and outs of, of buying uh, a franchise, but... You also speak very, um, you know, confidently and clearly about you referring to yourself as a business owner and as an entrepreneur, whereas I see a lot of women struggle to step into that space. So I'm, again, curious about is this something that you knew that or thought that you would one day own your own business in some capacity or how did that come about? I think I've always strived to be different and look I like a lot of people I've always felt like I've got something to prove um and that's that's something within me um that you know can I do more can I push myself harder where can I go next you know what's next in line and and I'm never satisfied 
with the status quo. Mm -hmm. And so I think some of that is mindset. Um, and so I think some of it is inherent. You, you have a certain way of thinking and, and I've always been like that. Even when, you know, when I was in the teaching world, we had a little side gig where I would sell teaching resources that I had made. You know, like, <laughs> I love how you just sort of throw that in as, oh yeah, I had that as well. Well, it's like, oh, <laughs> there's always something else on the side with you. <laughs> uh, and, and I think, look, part of that, I think, outlines the fact that I'm always searching for more I'm always searching for better I'm always searching for improvement and whether that be within myself so you know like at the moment I'm completing my master's of business administration mm -hmm. um, and that was about improving the way that I think within my business mm -hmm. um or whether it be, okay, well, I want a little bit of extra pocket money over here or I want to impart wisdom over here, whatever it might be, it is always about that continual improvement. Um, and and I think that for me, yes, some of it is about, well, I want to prove that I can. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'll just challenge myself. But I think it comes down to the old saying, give someone who's busy more to do because I'll get it done. <laughs> Yes, yes. And you are probably one of the busiest people that I know. <laughs> so then uh, what about the actual transition of you've, you've manifested and, and uh, negotiated your way into buying this business and then you had to sort of step into being a business owner. How did you find that transition and I'm curious to, to know how did other people respond when they heard that A, you're leaving teaching uh, and then B, that you've bought a, a tutoring business and you're going to be running this business. How did other people respond to that? Uh, that, was, that was a really interesting um, time period. What I have learned is that people who are not entrepreneurial thinkers will never understand you leaving a cushy government job. Yes. Um, you know, like people would say to me, well, but you only work for 40 weeks a year, which that used to really annoy me no <laughs> oh, end I can anyway. imagine, yeah. And, you know, you get the other 12 weeks of holiday. Why would you bother leaving that? And, and like the people would be, oh, the financial risk. And But I'm like, but what about the financial reward? And look, we've also gone through this this period where people try to make you feel guilty because you are making money in education. And I've started pointing out to people, have you seen a private school lately? Have you seen what private schools charge mm -hmm. and their enrolments? I'm pretty sure they're making money too. <laughs> and that's education. Yeah. Um, yet you send your kids there. So look, um, we copped a whole lot of backlash and if I wasn't so stubborn I don't know that I would have made the leap yeah. um, but I knew in my heart that it was the right decision mm -hmm. that it was and look at the time I didn't foresee that I was going to do what I've done now I saw myself that I was going to own that one tutoring center and that we were going to have, you know, 300 kids attending that one tutoring center and that I'd be on holidays, every school holidays. And that this was, you know, and I think probably because I was so sick at the time, I was also thinking, oh, this is going to give me a better lifestyle. 
-hmm. could just teach from three o'clock in the afternoon till nine o'clock at night and that's all I have to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I was a little bit naive in some respects, (laughs) which is probably just as well. It's a good thing, Um, yes. So... I think lifestyle was was part of the options. But then as I got into it and I saw what it could do and I started educating myself about business more, mm-hmm. um, I saw what the world had to offer and my mindset shifted and now we own seven centres. So you went from having one tutoring centre to, to now having seven? Mm-hmm. Yes, Holy jamoli, that's some amazing growth. Over how long? So next year will be our 10th year in the business. Wow. Amazing. And so what I'm interested in is when you look back on these 10 years, how do you feel about the impact that you have been able to have? I I don't even know that I can sum it up Um articulately Mm -hmm. this is a really emotional year um, for us not only has it been such a strange year but Mm. we have our second center that we opened which was can I say we expanded out of necessity so to begin with it wasn't a design it wasn't a strategic plan like I would do now we had run out of room in our center in our original center right and I was like what what are we going to do with these kids where are we going to put them? Yeah. And we had people traveling significant distances to come to our center and I just didn't have the room for them. And I'm turning away all of these customers and, and we just couldn't do any more. And I drove past this particular location of the second center and went, I wonder if I could open up a satellite center here. And that was what I envisaged it as was this where I could put the overflow. Uh-huh, like a little kind of side pop-up overflow yeah. space. Okay. Yeah. So, and again, so- what I'm hearing out of that is that your drive was not because you've suddenly become this money-hungry business machine. The drive was your right back to your core drive, which is about serving and supporting these kids and not leaving these kids behind. Totally. And, and that's still the drive. Look, don't get me wrong. No business owner goes into business not wanting to make money. No. Um, and, and if you don't want to make money, then I don't know that you can succeed in business because you're not going to channel yourself in the right areas. But I look at the data and I look at the educational data and I look at how many kids are behind and I'm like, so what am I going to do to fix that? What can mm-hmm. I do? Okay, mm-hmm. I can open another center. I can offer online. Um, I can do all these things. And our next goal is to get to a thousand students a week. And again, it is because we can, because yes. there are more than a thousand kids that need our help. And and look, the long term, it's not about eradicating illiteracy and numeracy. It is about giving these kids, whoever they are, the skills and the confidence that they will dare to dream. Because Mm. what happens with these kids is they are so often told that they cannot be successful, that they cannot achieve the things that they want to. And that is hogwash. Anyone can achieve anything if they're determined. Look at me. Mm. Who would have (laughs) thought that the school teacher would now be running a business 
that is worth $2 million. Yeah. Most people would assume that's impossible. And this is the thing too where I think it's important to be able to see um, and hear the passion that you have for what you're doing and also the fact that you can't always see the full picture at the beginning but just seeing what's the next step and having, you know, clarity around, um, you know, what's most important to you and your, um, you know, meaning through your work, being the driver of, of looking, as you said, of, of that question of seeing the problem and then going, what can I do to fix that? And the fact that there are more than a thousand kids out there that need your support means that that's a problem that needs to be solved. And the whole point about, um, making money in business I think is also a really good one because I know that it can be really jarring when some people might be listening and kind of going oh I don't want money to be my motivator I don't I'm not being um, money hungry and I as you know Karen am very passionate about supporting women to become more confident and empowered with their relationship and results with money and I feel like there's a lot of baggage that a lot of women bring around earning money, receiving money, making money that isn't serving them at all. And if they're going into business, even if they are looking at a solo business, that having an eye on how is this business going to make money, having an eye on profitability is actually essential for going into business. Otherwise, you're probably, as you said, not going to be bringing the right kind of focus and attention to the right things and that can trip you up and end up that you just buy yourself a job rather than create a business. So for you, the, the money side of things, you've, you've already shared that you are pretty, um, what's the right word, creative in finding a way to buy that first center have you always been someone who's been fairly confident with money and talking about money or where did that confidence come from in that situation? Oh, I'm terrible with money. Don't say that. I am. <laughs> um, no, and it's, you know what? I think it's I, – I actually have taken over um, being the CFO of the business as well mm-hmm. because I went, hmm, I actually need to learn more about this money stuff. Yeah. So whilst, yes, I was creative um, and always found a way, that that can be to a detriment as well because I'll go, okay, we'll do this and I'll worry about how we're going to pay for it later. And so I am the dreamer of our little business unit and my husband is the practical person. Right. And we'll sometimes go, mm, how is that going to be achieved and how are you going to do that? Um, so I went, I'm going to be CFO so that I am looking at the money and I'm learning how to look at what's important mm-hmm. and I'm bringing in budgets because as you get bigger, you see all this money coming in and you're like, awesome, I can spend it. Yeah. And because that's what I would do, yeah. right? And because when you're a teacher as well, you have a soft spot. You want to save everybody. And so we would hire this one because they told us that they didn't have a job and we would hire that one and so we made some really poor hiring choices Mm -hmm. as well which is money out the door that we probably didn't need and before we needed to expand yeah and so getting your head around 
how the money works in a business, what's important, what's your profitability, and then learning how to do things like, okay, how do we measure when it's time within our business that we need a new recruit? Mm -hmm. And actually starting to be strategic with your planning, both from operational business-wise, but also when it comes to your money. And, And I think that's something that I have learnt a lot over the last 10 years and it's one area that I have really tried to educate myself on in the last two years in particular because as we've grown to a two million plus business it looks like there's a lot of money coming in but there's no point a lot of money coming in if there's a lot of money going out. Exactly exactly and and I really am glad that you brought that up because I think sometimes women can get into business and feel like you know what I just I don't I don't care about the money as long as there's money in the bank we're doing okay but it actually is really important to to get educated and to learn a bit more about those key drivers in any business so that you can be making informed decisions about where your money goes and as you said when it's time to expand your team or uh, outsource uh, tasks to get support things like that so You've touched on that as, I guess, a challenge or a learning curve. Were there other challenges that you can remember when you first made that transition or started making that transition into working for yourself and and having a business compared to being an employee? Uh, Yes. I think, you know, (laughs) look, when you're in it, there's so much to learn, Chandra. There Mm. really is so much to learn. Um, And I think that, I had to learn how to balance, um, which was really important. You have to remember that I had young kids mm-hmm. as well. So I was mum. I was business owner. Um, when we first opened, I was in the business on my own. Right. Um, I had tutors that came in, but they didn't come in until like, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. And so I was on my own in the office, you know, from when I dropped the kids off at school um, to then when the tutors would come in. And that's really can be quite deafening, if you like, mm-hmm. because you sit there in your own thoughts and you're like, and that's when the doubt starts to come in. Oh my right. gosh, what did I do? Why did I do this? Who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> um, and you go through um, all of those thoughts. And then I got super busy. And I didn't balance how much time I was spending at work with not. So, you know, like when you're in a job, you know, you work, let's just argue nine till five. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know many people who do that. Me neither, but yes, let's go with that theory. Yeah. You work nine till five. Well, I was probably, well, I I was, I was working nine till 11, you know, and so you're then going, okay, why did I leave teaching again? Um, and so it was learning that you can't change the world in one day. Yeah. You know, you've got this great idea. You've got to work on it and you've got to work on it systematically so that you're bringing the best. And to know that you're constantly going to learn, you are going to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to fail mm. because things are not going to go to plan at different times. And, you know, we still go through through that we opened two new centers in February of this year and within four weeks we were shut down yeah I didn't I didn't predict that and I'm still paying rent for you know seven centers even though we were shut down 
it's you've you've got to learn how to be resilient mm-hmm. and then and how to pivot and how to adjust depending on the goal and don't ever lose sight of your goal why did you get into it so for me obviously my passion is about the kids and never losing sight of the difference that we make in kids and this is our graduating year um, that second center that I told you about mm-hmm. a lot of the kids that started in that center when we opened it are actually doing their HSC today. Oh, wow. And we have seen them go from these kids that couldn't read, they might not have been able to do maths, they were so far behind that they've gone on this journey and the kids that have gotten, you know, early entry into university, you know, there's all these stories and it just gives me that fire to go, we helped achieve that. Yeah. Karen, I'm covered in goosebumps. (laughs) <laughs> that it, it it gets me up in the morning yeah yes and look I can uh, all through this whole conversation you know there is no doubt about your passion for what you do and I just I'm a big believer in the importance of what you do because there is a need there to supplement the education that kids are getting at school um, so that these kids don't fall behind because the ripple effect and the roll-on effect of how that impacts their lives and their families and their futures is huge. So you are doing uh, absolutely amazing work and I think it's fantastic that you've been able to channel your passion into this kind of outlet that does serve Um, so many kids and so many families so I'm really excited to see how your business continues to grow. Karen if someone is listening and they too can hear how passionate you are about um, tutoring and the impact that you and your team can have and they want to find out more about you where can they find out or connect with you? So probably the best place is through our Kit McGrath website mm-hmm. um, and to get specifically to us, um, going to the Western Sydney page, which is kitmcgrath.com.au slash western-sydney. Um, there's a whole heap of centres that we own, but we also do online tuition, which can I tell you I absolutely love um, teaching online. And so it means that people from anywhere throughout the entire of Australia, and I have taught kids in Singapore and the Middle East as well. Wow. Um, yeah, Australian expats. So that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, that's um, amazing. Yeah. So it, it just opens up and we do a free assessment for kids to see if they actually do need tuition because mm-hmm. we don't believe in kids being in tuition unless there is a need right. to be in tuition. So we do that free assessment and we have a chat with the parents afterwards and, and give a recommendation. And and if they don't need tuition, we're going to tell them. And that's really, really important because, you know, like we've been talking about, it isn't about the money. That's a perk of, mm. of the business. Um, it is about here to help and support kids and their families. And so if we don't feel that they need anything, we're going to let let the parents know because mm. potentially that could be <clears throat> taking the place of a child that really needs the support that can't get in because that spot's already filled or, or whatever so I can see how it does make sense that you want to be making the biggest impact you can yeah totally and look there you know our area of expertise is working with remedial students that's what we do all mm-hmm. day every day mm-hmm. there are plenty of organizations out there that that do other styles of tuition and, you know, that might be more suitable for some of them but it's not an area that that we go into. Yeah, 
Yeah, great. Fantastic. And you mentioned the online tuition. Uh, mm. Is that something that you had, I guess, had in the pipeline that was something that you wanted to do or is that the result of, of 2020's curveballs? Um, we've been doing online tuition for seven years. Oh, wow. So originally it was established and we bought a centre in Caratha, which was an online-only centre, the first in the world, mm-hmm. and it was about being able to deliver, I guess, what we have in the city to kids who are in remote areas that can't access a service like ours. And so that's where it stemmed from. And obviously with the way that 2020 evolved, thank goodness, because it's turned into that everyone, no matter where they were, went online um, because there was no offering of in-centre. Mm-hmm. So, but the, I think one of the things that is really important for people to understand with online tuition is that you need to make sure that it, any company that you might be looking at, that what they actually do is deliver an online lesson, not one where a child has to try and do something on their own. It has to be guided by a teacher. Um, So our in-centre and online replicate each other. The only difference is in-centre, they might come in and visit me. Online, they just visit me from their home. Yeah, right. And there's a really interesting distinction, and especially with so much moving online, I think there is a risk that you know people will start to go, oh, well, I can do online tutoring, but if they're not actually really set up properly for that, that it it isn't actually uh, doing the same and not providing the same sort of benefit as a more structured lesson does, because it's not like, oh, here's this task and I'll you know, just send it to you and then you send me what you're working on or, or whatever. It's a, a different requirement, I imagine. So that's important for, for parents to probably be aware of when they're comparing different services. Absolutely. Mm. And so, Karen, any final thoughts or tips, either things that you perhaps wish that you had known or that you did earlier, that if you think someone's listening who's in a job that's either making them sick or uh, that they're not fulfilled in and they're wanting to do something but they're on that cusp and not really sure. Any sort of thoughts or tips that you have got for, for them? Um, look, for me, I would say do it <laughs> because, I mean, I don't regret it, not one little bit. I, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I miss being in the classroom but that's just because of the kids. Yeah. Um, but I don't miss like I am doing what I love. I'm making a difference every day. So find that thing that you are passionate about and do that, mm-hmm. whatever that might be. And that's that's what I tell my, you know, my year 11 and year 12 kids. What do you love? What is it that's going to get you to be, you know, that you're wanting to go to work, not that you're looking at the clock to see what time do I have to finish? Yeah. So find that thing that is going to drive you because when the times are hard you're still going to get up in the morning and go and do what you've got to get done whereas if you hate it you will find a reason not to yeah the other thing that I wish I had done earlier was get amongst amongst like-minded people Mm -hmm. because do you know what there is so much noise from people who have no idea and and it's like in everything in the world people who have no idea are the ones that talk the loudest <laughs> so no. true 
And so for me, I wish in those early days I had got involved in a business network or just got myself a good mentor, mm-hmm. um, even a coach potentially as well, because that will help to drown out the noise that you're going to cop because you will from people that know you, friends, family, why do you want to do that? That's silly. You know, you could lose everything. That's what comes out the loudest. So you need people around you that have done it, Mm. that know what they're doing to, you know, cheer you on and chant you on because it it is super hard being in business and making that leap when you've got the security of a job with a regular income, those things can be challenging. Hmm. So get yourself around the right people. It's so important. And it's, I think it's one that in my observation of the, all the interviews that I've done this year, clients that I have worked with too, is that, that we can sometimes be a, a bit hard on ourselves and expect that we are smart, we should just be able to figure this out for ourselves and I think that that is such a shame that that seems to be our human default because there is so much benefit to be able to connect with people that have gone a bit further down the path than you have and to be able to learn from them. And there are some great groups, some great organisations and you do need to find the people that are the the right kind of people for you with the sort of... um, you know, vibe and energy, but you need that to balance out, as you said, not just the external voices of the people that inevitably will have an opinion, uh, but there's also that inner voice that you mentioned earlier, that the, the voice of doubt, the voice of fear that is going to be coming internally as well. So finding that, you know, cheer squad of of people around you, the, the tribe that you can go to with your questions uh, and to get support as well as whether it's a mentor or a coach to help guide you about what is actually the right thing for you to be working on right now and help to make sense of all the ideas that you might have, which are the ones that are important to focus on and to, to implement. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with you that it's, it makes a big impact because not a lot of us have an instant crowd of people in our lives that that are business owners the majority tend to be people that are employed who just have a very different experience of work and life and so they're going to not have the ability to have the same appreciation for the sorts of problems that you're tackling um, compared to someone who is also facing that problem or has already faced and overcome that that challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's going to be the case for most people. We don't inherently go, you know, our, our people that we tend to be friends with are people who are being like what we were like yes you know or you've met at work or mm-hmm. you know so they don't understand the journey that you're thinking about undertaking so if they don't understand it their instant reaction is going well that can't be the right one yes yes so true uh, it's interesting about how you say about um you know friends from work because I, I noticed that um this year, one of the things that I started in my business was a new group program, which is specifically for women who are transitioning from being an employee into starting their own business. And it's called Women in Transit. And um, I noticed myself writing in a couple of the emails and things that I've been doing with that, you know, that I think of myself as your new work friend. Because because it, it is a bit like that. It's kind of like, oh, this is someone I've met through work, but we're just used to it being from 
oh, they also work for the same company, whereas I don't work for the same company, but I'm, I still think of myself as like, oh, yeah, I'm a, that's my work friend. <laughs> Absolutely. And what a nice psychological advantage that is because one of the things that I know you talk about is how lonely, especially when you first go into business on your own, because a lot of people will go in as solo people, mm-hmm. not like me who had a team mm-hmm. um, to begin with. And so if you can say, oh, geez, I met that person, you know, through work. Yeah. It is just that psychological edge, isn't it? Yes. And I think that that's something that occurred to me. It's like, oh, yeah, I kind of like that. So I'm going to keep running with that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I think that's a great analogy. I'm going to start using that, I think. Yeah, go on. You can. <laughs> Karen, thank you so much for making the time to do this podcast. I know that we were originally scheduled to do it, I think, way back in January or something like that. And there was bushfires going on that you were tackling and then after that we had COVID and your centres were being shut down and moving online and so I'm so pleased that we have finally been able to uh, have this conversation to share your insights and I know that your experience and your story will have given some great insights and tips to to people that are listening who are curious about you know asking themselves can I really do this and part of why I have done this series this year is I want to flood people's minds with stories and examples of of many different women who have made significant career change after the age of 40 so that people can see that it is possible and it doesn't have to look the same way for every person. So I really appreciate you sharing your insights, particularly around buying a business uh, and growing a significant business and a significant team with multiple sites. Because for some people listening, they might think, wow, you know, I wonder if one day I could do that. They might start with just one small, you know, uh, business and it will evolve from there so I really appreciate you sharing all your insights no worries thank you for inviting me it was great fun to talk to you and to any woman out there who is considering a a career change don't be afraid Mm -hmm. if I can tell all of my students to strive towards their dreams just because you are 40 or 40 plus does not mean that you should not do the same thing and it is not too late Mm -hmm. Here, here, I second that. And that's a big part of why I'm, I'm doing this is that a lot of women do tell themselves, oh, it's too late now. Whereas I think actually this is a fabulous time to be really making the change into something that's meaningful because often when we're younger, we don't really know ourselves that well and we're so caught up with what other people think or what's expected of us. Whereas now at this sort of 40 plus uh, age, I really believe that there's so much more freedom and you can bring so much of your life experience and work experience into whatever your your business is so that's why I'm excited about working with and and helping women to feel more confident to to start making those moves totally agree thank you so much Karen you're welcome thank you that's it for another episode of the transit lounge podcast but before you go I just want to tell you about a great new free resource If you are early in your business and you want to make sure that you're focusing on the right things at the right time to make sure that your business is profitable as quickly as possible, then you want to go and grab a brand new ebook that I have created, which is called the top four priority focus areas for a profitable first year in business. In this ebook, I have compiled 
experience and insights from my over five years in business, as well as from more than 40 interviews with successful women in business and conversations with other women in business that are in my network. And I have summarized all that experience into the top four areas that you need to focus on so you can really create a business that delivers the kind of income and lifestyle that you're looking for. You can get that ebook for free at thetransitlounge.com forward slash top four. I'll be sure to put the link to that into the show notes to make it easy for you to get. So go get it, have a read, then come and join the private Facebook group and tell me which one of the four areas do you think you would benefit from more help with. I'll look out for your comment in the group. Have a great week.